Analyx 2.15. The master said, learning without reflecting leads to confusion. Reflecting without learning leads to danger. Once again, the words are not perfect, perfectly translated into English. Uh, so let's talk about what Confucius means here. There's two parts here. You have to you have to do your thinking, reflecting, but you also need to learn. In the translation that I'm using, we have this very interesting endnote. Uh, Chengzi, a philosopher, says in commentating on this passage, learn broadly, ask searchingly, reflect carefully, distinguish clearly, and act earnestly. To lacking, to be lacking in one of these is to fail to learn. And I think this is a great way to unpack what Confucius has said here. So let's start from the very beginning. There's these two ideas, the thinking and reflecting on one hand, and the learning on the other. And by learning, we're talking more about uh, opening a book, reading it, going to a teacher, hearing his lectures. So that process that you're doing right now is what is meant by learning in the statement. Uh, in other words, you're studying. Maybe that's a better way to, to put this. You're studying, you're listening, you're reading, you're absorbing information and knowledge. But there's another part that you have to do. You have to think, you have to reflect, you have to engage actively in your learning. And that is important as well. And there's a, there's a warning to each of these. So if you learn without thinking, you will be confused. In other words, you have no ability to actually understand. You might memorize. You might memorize. Uh, I see this with students who are trying to study, for example, chemistry or physics. They might memorize these equations, but they have no idea what they're really about. And that's a very clear example. When it comes to learning philosophy, you can hear something like, oh, you should be respectful to others. But how do you be respectful? All you know is the word respect. But what does that mean? What does that mean for different situations? How do you apply it? Is it respectful to go to somebody's wedding in a white dress? Is it respectful to go to someone's funeral in tennis shoes? There are more, there's more to these ideas than simply hearing the statement. Because ultimately you are trying to apply this to real life. You're trying to apply this to real life. So if you do learn about these virtues, Ren, Yi, Li, and you might even be able to define them, that's a different matter than knowing how to apply this in your life.
how can you be Lee when you're dealing with a difficult neighbor? How, what does it mean to be E, moral and righteous, when your own government is going the wrong direction? How can you do these things? So when you learn, let's go to this commentary by Chengzi. You, when you learn, you learn broadly. And that goes back to a few analogs before. You don't want to become some sort of tool. You don't want to become overly specialized. You don't want to, when you're learning, you don't want to say, oh, okay, I am an engineering major and that's the only thing that is worth learning and I don't, I haven't studied any history. I haven't studied any philosophy. I just study that. I only study that. That's not learning broadly. Asking searchingly. There's two kinds of people you can ask. One is your teacher. And this is the great benefit of having a teacher. If you're stuck and you've read the same thing a few times, then that's the extent to which you have grown. You're just stuck at this point. If you have a teacher, however, and according to Sunza, a worthy teacher is one who, excuse me, uh, according to Confucius, a worthy teacher is somebody who can study what has come before and use it to understand what is happening now and what will happen in the near future. Sunza has four other factors uh, that can indicate that somebody is worthy to be a teacher such as deep and subtle understanding. But in any case, the teacher is somebody who presumably knows more than you do and has a deeper and greater understanding. So you can go and ask that teacher. If you are born with the rare talent of, of somebody like Yan Wei, then perhaps your need for a teacher is not as great. But even Yan Wei followed Confucius. So having a teacher is incredibly important. I do offer personal lessons to a handful of students. I don't have infinite time and that's why these lectures do exist. Uh, because not everybody can be a student for various reasons. And for those people who cannot be direct students, you can still learn partially from these lectures. But recorded lectures are similar to texts in that you are still not interacting with your teacher. Your teacher is not there to observe you. Your teacher is not there to correct you based on those observations. And you're not able to ask teachers specific questions that apply to your personal life. So if you do want to have personal lessons, if you do want to become a student of mine, you can go to Rekindle Radiance and you can go ahead and try to send, uh, go ahead and send a message um, asking for this. And that would be the, the first steps that you, you would take. The other person 
whom you can ask searchingly is actually yourself. Not necessarily for answers, but to take yourself to task. To ask yourself, have I really been virtuous? Have I really been respectful? Have I really been trustworthy? Have I done these things that I believe are good for me to do? Am I the kind of person that I would admire? So you're taking yourself to task. You're reflecting upon yourself. You're self-examining yourself. Reflect carefully is to think about what have I heard? What have I read? Is this true? How is it true? Why is it true? Am I doing this in my own life? That's reflecting carefully. It's easy for somebody to say, yeah, this is all correct. I read it once through. I know this is true. But then you look at their own personal behavior and you find out that they aren't doing even a tenth of what they're supposed to be doing. And it's, that's maybe because they're being a hypocrite, but I more uh, it's more likely especially in my teaching experience, that they simply do not understand to begin with. They don't understand what is said on a deep level. They only understand it superficially. It's like somebody who goes through the analects and they think, okay, Confucius is all about uh, being compassionate and being respectful and being a moral person and just being a good, overall, simply a good person. That's a very superficial understanding of what Confucius had been teaching. The next part, distinguishing clearly is very important to make fine distinctions between and among different words, different ideas, and indeed words are ideas. So if I say pen, I'm not referring to specifically the thing that's in my hand right now. I'm referring to anything that uses ink that can write words and create shapes with ink. And that's different from a pencil, which uses graphite and is erasable. And so you need to do this when we're thinking about more difficult concepts, such as morality, such as right and wrong. These days, people blur concepts that used to be clearer in the eyes of the public together. So for example, what a man is and what a woman is. People are trying to play around with that. So you do have to distinguish clearly, but in this case, you simply have to distinguish. So if some people might say, well, this is not really a man or, or, you know, this is a woman and you want to distinguish clearly. You want to say, okay, if this is what the definition of male and female are, then we can now use this to logically figure out where these people belong and do not belong. 
if you do not have a if you're not able to distinguish clearly between male and female this could cause a lot of problems for example to make to make a very clear and objective example uh, if your definitions of male and female do not include the ability to either get pregnant or to be able to make someone pregnant if that is not considered and you simply dismiss it then when a doctor has a male patient he might prescribe the wrong kinds of treatments or if the person if the doctor has a female patient and is forced to ignore the possibility of pregnancy then the doctor might prescribe medicines that could damage the the fetus and could harm the pregnancy overall so distinguishing clearly is a very important part of ensuring that affairs go well in 13.3 of the Analects, this is one of the most important and famous parts of the Analects. Confucius talks about the rectification of names. And we'll, we can discuss a lot more about what it means to distinguish clearly there. But distinguishing is important, and distinguishing clearly and carefully is also important because you can, if you don't do these things, then you will confuse yourself. You'll also on the basis of that confusion, act very, very clumsily in life because you are not distinguishing very clearly. If you can't distinguish, for example, between a recession and in the stock market going down, then you will probably make very bad financial decisions. You cannot distinguish between prices going up and inflation due to increased an increase in currency then you can make very bad investments and so forth lastly we have act earnestly what this means is when you learn something don't wait to implement it and people do this all the time if I talk to somebody and uh, they've been wearing leggings as pants for a long time and they realize that, oh, this is not really uh, something that is normal pants and it's more like underwear, then they start to feel uh, all sorts of negative emotions, maybe shame, maybe embarrassment, maybe you just generally feel upset. And so instead of correcting their behavior, they try to make excuses. They, rational, they rationalize away their former behavior, which is rather sad. And it really tells you they don't really value virtue. Because if you truly value virtue and somebody taught you how to be more virtuous, you would immediately want to implement it. You can tell because if somebody really wants to watch TV or play a video game, and then they're having trouble getting it to work well, and you show them how to make your TV work better, 
or your video game to have better graphics, then people will want to implement that immediately. They won't say, oh no, I've, I've been playing that video game well all this time, or I've been watching that TV the best way all this time. They don't do that because they really do want to have a better TV experience or a better video game experience. So when I see people and I point out to them they've been doing something morally wrong all this time, what this tells me is that they don't believe, they don't really want, they don't truly want to be a better person. And therefore they are a petty person. So if somebody points out that you have been doing something wrong all this time, that means you can do something right in the future. You can do something better in the future. And if you truly value that, then you will want to do that immediately. So acting earnestly is to not wait before you change your behavior. Another part of acting earnestly is to really think, is this truly implementing what I have been taught or am I just being sloppy at it? So if you are taught about, if you're taught If you're taught that you should be an earnest student, or let me put it this way, if you're listening to this lecture about what it means to really learn, you have to reflect. Now, some people could say, okay, I'm gonna take five minutes to reflect, and at the end of this five minutes, I'm done. Is that really earnestly reflecting? No, so you're not acting earnestly. In this case, you're not taking the, what you have learned and acting earnestly on it because true reflection doesn't have some sort of time set to it. You're not going to do this for exactly five minutes or exactly 10 minutes or even an hour. True reflection is when you keep working at it until you get a satisfactory answer. That is being earnest. You keep working at it until it is accomplished. You don't say, well, I tried. Now I'm done. Okay, I'm moving on. Okay. If you're trying to save your marriage and you're being earnest about it, you're trying as hard as you can to achieve a good marriage. People who, uh, men and women who don't act earnestly, what they do, on the other hand, is they tell themselves they're trying to work on the marriage. But if you look at their actual behavior, they're doing all sorts of things. They're picking fights. They're closing themselves off they are acting very disrespectfully they're not trying to improve themselves they're only telling themselves that they're trying to work on their marriage because what they truly want is to not bother with it or even to get a divorce so acting earnestly is to actually want to achieve your goal so this this analyst is very important. It's not enough to simply listen and to simply read. You have to think about what you've read. You have to reflect on it. You have to try to apply it in your real life. And if you don't do any of these things, you might as well not have read it. You might as well not have heard it. So this is very important for you as a student to do. You learn, you study, and you also reflect and you think. If you only think and you don't learn. This is incredibly dangerous because 
what this means is that you, probably as a relatively young person, you're only relying on your limited experience. You have to go learn by trial. In other words, you have to make mistakes and you have to suffer it. And then you figure out a better way. And that's very slow. And moreover, that's very risky because you might not be able to recover. If you make a mistake and this leads to you being injured for the rest of your life, crippled, or it even leads you to die, there's no second chances. If you make the mistake and you've been making mistakes for 10 years, that's a whole decade of your life that is lost and you're behind. You're still a biological person. You can't live forever and your body changes from decade to decade. If you're a young woman, especially, this is true. So if by the time you're say 34 and you realize you've been making a mistake with dating, marriage, all this time, maybe it's already too late to have any children. So you don't want to simply learn from your own experience. That's very dangerous. That's also very limited. When you're studying these classics, you're not just studying one person and his whole lifetime. You're also studying everybody who is connected to that body of wisdom. So when I teach the Analects, I'm also drawing from the insights of Mencius, from Shunzo, and within the Analects, it's not only Confucius who is talking and commenting, we also have his students. And the people who put together the Analects, they're the ones who decided, okay, this is important enough to preserve. So there's a lot of people involved in this. It's not only one person's life experience and his ideas. Confucius himself, he got his ideas from the Ru before him. Anywhere, uh, all these sources, for example, the Duke of Zhou, who lived hundreds of years before Confucius. Uh, the Book of Poetry, which is written centuries, many centuries before Confucius. The Book of Documents, the histories, which of course were written long time ago, before Confucius. The music that he played to cultivate his soul, that didn't come from Confucius. The, the philosophy and, and the logic uh, found in the, the Book of Changes, uh, which is sometimes used as a way to divine the future, uh, but it's that itself is its own its own topic. Uh, it's essentially the book of changes is a way to look abstractly at the nature of change, including cause and effect and correlation. So you can think about it this way: math is not only about adding and subtracting numbers, it's about the logic of numbers. The logic of numbers. And yes, you could use the logic of numbers to do something like probability and predict that casinos will make more money in the long run and players at the casino will lose money in the long run. Is that fortune telling? No, it's simply using logic 
to get some general sense of the future. So the book of changes is a very abstract document. It's a very abstract text and, and it uses logic to look at patterns of change. And so one could theoretically try to use it to predict the future in a very general way, the way that probability is used to predict the future. Um, but instead of looking at numbers, it's looking at the nature of change. But beyond, beyond that, we also have other books, the Book of Rituals, and there are several of them, the Book of Music. So there are many texts that Confucius has studied. Confucius is not bringing this out out of nowhere. He's not simply thinking on his own for years in the middle of the forest, being by himself and trying to figure out everything. He himself is a very active student who learns and reflects and thinks. So don't rely on the 10 or 20 years that you've been an adult to figure out life. That's incredibly futile and you shouldn't be doing this. The, the reason why many of you out there are tempted to figure things out on your own is because you're flooded with nonsense. Nonsense philosophies, you're taught nonsense from kindergarten all the way up. And you're surrounded by that in your films, your movies, your music, your news, your media in general. And if you go have a college degree, there this foolishness is instituted into looking like something that is prestigious. So psychology is a good example of that. If you try to study psychology to improve your social skills, this is the wrong direction. You're, you're going to only learn things of a minute nature. And psychology works this way. It picks up on little differences and makes turns them into a big deal. So for example, you might have a study where you're asking people, what do they prefer a environmentally friendly car versus a gas guzzler. Okay, well, there might be part of this as part of this experiment. Another group who hears that this is an electric car versus a gas powered car. And the experiment is just to see based off of the way the car is described, who prefers what kind of car. And then of course it gives, you know, you know um, people who, slightly more people who hear the environmental friendly versus a gas guzzling car will prefer the electric car, as opposed to if they hear electric car versus gas powered car. So there's gonna be this small difference in the number of people who prefer the electric car based on 
the better description, the more favorable description on it. Now, does this really help you become a better human being? No, because your ability to have good relationships doesn't really have as much to do with your ability to manipulate them with nice sounding words. And in fact, over, over time, they will start to resent you for being manipulative with your rhetoric. So that's number one. But number two, it doesn't really change that much in terms of, uh, it doesn't really change people's minds that much. So in this experiment, you might have 100 people who hear environmentally friendly car versus electric car. But the 100 people, among the 100 people who will favor electric cars, who hear environmentally friendly car, you might have 60 of them, 60% of them favor this electric car. Now, for those who hear the term electric car instead of environmentally friendly car, they might prefer the electric car 56%. So it's a 4% difference. Only four people have changed their mind. Now, the statistical analysis will tell you this is significant. In other words, describing it as environmentally friendly versus electric really did persuade more people. And it wasn't just due to random chance. It really probably did cause it. There's a 95% chance that it really did cause the two responses to be different. But ultimately, who cares? It's only four people out of 100. It's not that big of a deal. So psychology is full of that. If you want to understand human beings, don't become a psych major in college. Do not do that. And if you want to work on yourself, don't go to a psychologist. If you want to work on yourself, develop your virtue. Study Confucianism. That's how you can, be, you can become a happier person. That's how you could become a more virtuous person. This is how you can have better relations and improve your family relations and your friendships. You do that by studying Confucianism because Confucianism, the Ru philosophy, is concerned with these questions. Primarily, how to become a better person, how to get along with other people better. Psychology is not actually interested in people becoming a more moral person. In fact, morality is not really taken as real. There is an underlying moral relativism where you're not there to judge people, you're just trying to figure out why they feel a certain way. And it's not very good at that even because they pick up on small tiny things they don't figure out larger things. Another way to look at this is what makes people happy? Well, is to have good families, good family lives, and to have a stable financial situation. So psychologists might be able to figure out, okay, those things tend to make people happier, but they can't figure out how to really make that work. They're not good at these things. So when you do learn, you want to learn the correct path. 
you want to learn the DAO. Now again, you a lot of people today, they want to just figure it out on their own because everybody is telling them so many different things and they're all uh, contradictory. Sometimes they're even self-contradictory. So you hear all of the stuff being shouted at you and of course the natural instinct is to, is to cover your ears and say, stop and go run off to somewhere where there is quiet and try to figure out things on your own. But it's not going to work. What you need to do is you need to study a path that has worked for, has been shown to work. And history has shown us that this works. If you look at Confucian societies, people today, they'll try to portray Confucian historical society as oppressive or whatever. What they're really doing is that they're trying to lie, they are lying to you. They're lying to you because they want you to, they want to suck you into their way of life their belief system so that they can make money off of it so that they can tell themselves that life is better how do they make money off of it well if you look at these people they study the wrong things and they know it doesn't work because when they apply these ideas they don't see really good improvement they see further unhappiness further depression but that's all they know and that they have a degree in this and this is, they have a career based on this. So they will continue to lie about what works and they will continue to hide what doesn't work from you because they make money off of it. There's another layer of this where the wealthy like to encourage ideas of individualism, freedom and equality because that is what makes them money from you. That is what enables them to exploit you and control you. Because if you believe in freedom and your way of understanding freedom is to not get along with your family or leads you to not get along with your family, then you have to work even harder to prevent yourself from becoming homeless. If your idea of equality allows them to bring in more workers, then they don't have to pay the average worker as much because through supply and demand, they do not have to pay as much. More workers means more supply of laborers and if the supply of something goes up then the price of it goes down and so therefore the price of labor goes down this means lower salaries for everybody. They're going to use these ideas freedom, equality, individualism to be able to sell you more. Individualism they get people to do things like buy into their hobbies or to collect memorabilia because this is their way of convincing you that you're expressing your individualism by spending money. That's how they work. And so they don't want to let you believe the truth, which is that most Confucian societies for most of their existence People had happy families, people had happy marriages, people had plenty of children, and their children respected them, and their children did not cause them a lot of heartache for the most part. And what they will do is they'll take very saucy and scandalous moments from these 500 years of existence 
they'll bring them out and pretend that's what was typical for that time period. It's not. If you have a dynasty that lasts 500 years, you're bound to have one or two bad kings. You are bound to have one or two instances of society going crazy or going into extreme way. But for most of those 500 years, that half a millennia of existence, people were pretty happy. So don't let people lie to you. Go on the path that has been proven to work for thousands of years. Go on the path that makes logical sense. That is what is known today as Confucianism. That is the way of the Ru, the Confucian scholar. So there is that temptation to just think on your own. That'll only lead you into more problems. You don't have the experience. You don't have the wisdom. Learn from, learn wisdom from people who are, who have come before you with all this experience, with all this trial and error. Let them have to suffer through difficult times to distill this wisdom and pass it on to you. Don't make your life harder than it already is. Study the Confucian Tao and reflect on it. Ask searchingly and act earnestly and sincerely to implement it in your life. And as a result, you will become happier. You will become more confident. You will have better relations. And most importantly, you will become a better person. You will become more virtuous and more righteous.